There's a pretty good little family movie called Secondhand Lions. It's about two curmudgeonly brothers who disappeared for 40 years and they came back with reputedly unlimited wealth. There's lots of theological and other mess in it. I mean, it's worth watching, but as always, you know, there's the basic Hollywood foolishness. But in any event, they end up caring for a great nephew that they don't really want. <laughs> it's about what happens when you live a life outside the normal. What life looks like when you live a certain way. So the movie's set back in the day when traveling salesmen made the rounds. The story of their supposed wealth has spread enough that they get a continuous stream of these guys. So the afternoon game for our two cantankerous cranks is to shoot at them. <laughs> you know, shoot towards them. But they, they actually shoot at them. So needless to say, the salesmen skate out of there pretty quick and, and they never come back. Except for one persistent fellow. <laughs> he shows up for a second time. And, you know, oh, this is exciting hunting now. You know, they're, they're just... But the kid, whom they barely tolerate, he jumps in and says, Hey, why don't we listen to what he has to say? You know, what a novel idea. <laughs> and surprisingly, they do. And he sells them the perfect thing. A clay pigeon trap machines so that they can shoot clay pigeons instead of salesmen. <laughs> you know, that worked out pretty good, so they decide to buy a few other things from a few other salesmen. The more calm brother, he buys this big box of seeds. His brother spouts, why are we planting a garden? Because we're retired and it's what retired people do. So they plant this huge garden. It's, it's really a small field, okay? Each row's carefully labeled with the package the seed came in, you know how you do that? And after a few months, the plants are all coming up nicely, and while they're hoeing away, the grumpy one, he starts to look around and he says, what's this row? His brother checks the label. Corn. He points at the next row with plants identical to the first row. This? Radishes. That, peas, row after row of exactly the same plant, all labeled different things. <laughs> uh, what happened? Well, it's simple. Somebody wanted to make a little extra money off them, and he put the cheapest seed he could find, corn, in every envelope. So now they've got this field of nothing but corn. And so ends their foray into gardening. This happened because you really do reap what you sow. You plant corn, you're going to get corn. That's the way it works. Corn stalks always have corn grow on them. Okay? <laughs> they don't suddenly sprout radishes. Okay? A fruit tree will always bear the fruit of the tree from which it grew. It's the nature of branches to bear fruit like the plant to which they are attached. Like the plant from which they get their life. We're used to things like apple trees and cranberries around here. But in Israel, there have always been lots of grapevines. In fact, the economy of many of their villages depended on the farming of those carefully cultured vines. Vine dressers were important people 
who over the centuries had carefully pollinated the various wild grapes to develop the best fruit they could grow. Wild grapes don't taste good at all. Uh, they're pretty sour and they're commercially they're worthless. But cultured vines were of great value. They'd build walls around their orchards to keep out animals and thieves. And remember, everybody in town needed that farm to make money or they'd all be in trouble. Towers were built in the middle so lookouts could watch the entire estate and send workers to areas where there might be trouble of some kind. Everybody in Israel knew how this worked. So Jesus uses the disciples' familiarity with these plants and their cultivation to teach an important lesson. Those who are Christ will naturally bear fruit of the quality one would expect with a good vine dresser. Jesus points to this with his disciples in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. My Father. The Father has always been the vine dresser. In the Old Testament, it was common to speak of the people and the nation of Israel as the vineyard of God. Like in this sad story. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its head and its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. The briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord is the, of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. But behold, bloodshed. For righteousness. But behold, an outcry. Israel was supposed to use the statutes and ceremonies that God gave them in the land he gave them to bring people to him. But instead of sweet fruit, they spewed out wildness. Sour fruit that would put your teeth on edge. Not only did they not produce good, but they sinned horribly, wilder than any of the nations that God drove out before them. And they were really bad. So God shuts down Israel. Instead of a nation, from now on, a person will be the way, as we've talked over the last few weeks. Instead of a set of laws written down, it will be a way of the heart, a spiritual way. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus was true as opposed to the people of Israel who were not true to God. Jesus is the true connection between God the Father, the vine dresser, and all people. Okay, we should really stop here and check in on something Where are we? (laughs) And when are we? This is the last night before Jesus is crucified. The text makes it a little difficult to tell if they are still in the upper room or they're walking out of town past the various vineyards, which would kind of make sense. But what is for sure is that this is an intense discussion. 
they know this is the very last time they will walk with him like this. The last time he will teach them like this. So they're listening intently to the point of exhaustion, we later learn. And these disciples, good Jews that they were, must have been thinking, wait, what about all our laws? Without a clear set of rules, how will it be decided who's a branch and who's not? How will we know? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, first, understand that God the Father will decide. Not up to us. It's all about him. For our part, we'll see a change in people's lives. They'll be pruned. Which sounds kind of painful. And we'll see a positive change in them and in other people's whose lives intersect with theirs, their neighbors, like we talked last time. To say it another way, they'll bear fruit in others and in themselves. When Jesus said, every branch in me that does not, he meant those who claim to be his disciples, but are that in name only, not really. Now remember, they had just found out that one of them, Judas, was that kind of branch, a pretend branch. And he was taken away not too much later. And maybe they were worried about that. Am I going to be taken away? Are we okay? Are we going to be taken away or pruned? They were worried, so Jesus reassures them, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Judas is gone, so they are all believers there. But the main point for us now is that Jesus' word, the truth he is and represents, makes them spiritually clean. And all of them are clean, but not because of who or what they are. It's because of who and what Jesus is, what he says, what he does, his word. We, too, are clean if we abide in him. More on that in a second. Not because of who we are or what we do, but because of who and what Jesus is. What he did makes us clean and causes us to bear fruit. Now these next words, Jesus could say them to believers today. Walk right in here say them to us just as directly as he did to his disciples then. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me. Have a permanent relationship with Jesus Christ. John will use this word translated abide ten times. From here through verse ten. Ten times in six verses. Okay? <laughs> the Greek is meno. The primary meaning is to stay in a given place or state or relation or expectancy. Uh, you might see it translated abide, remain, continue, dwell, endure, be present, live with. Uh, this word has significant theological importance for John. In fact, he uses it more than all the other New Testament writers combined. He uses it some 55 to their 50. I mean, for the entire rest of the New Testament, he uses it 55 to their 50. It was important to John, and it should be to us. Our abiding in Jesus requires Jesus abiding in us. We have no life without him. 
It's not about who we are or what we do. It's about who Jesus is, what he makes us, and what he makes us able to do. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. A natural result of being a living branch is to produce fruit. We had a house in Tacoma that was built in what used to be an apple orchard. And one of those trees was in our front yard. Huge old thing. It produced enormous amounts of fruit. Trust me, I had to pick it up. It would take me a half an hour every day in the season. Enormous amounts of fruits. It just produced them. I didn't have to do anything to get apples. I didn't go flick a switch. <laughs> the ones who put it there, they already did all that work. Well, of course, and it's designer and maker too. Yes, I forget. The point is it naturally produced fruit. Do we naturally produce fruit? A normal result of abiding with Jesus is to live like him, which will always produce some sort of fruit. And more and more as we are pruned. Have you ever been out to uh, the orchards by Lake Chelan? It's amazing. Those carefully pruned trees, they bear so much fruit that they actually have crutches for the branches because they would break because of the amount of fruit they produce. Wow, now that's a pruned fruit tree. It's amazing. Judas might have been cast out, but Peter was pruned unrelentingly. (laughs) And he produced vast amounts of fruit for Jesus Christ. And it's, it's very important to get the order correct here. First, we abide in him. Then we are pruned. Then we bear fruit. It's not us. It's him. You do realize that pruning is getting rid of bad or useless parts parts that take away the ability to produce fruit abundantly, uh, no matter how nice those parts might look. As Jesus fills our lives, what was our life and, and the fruit it produced, that fades away. We quit producing that kind of fruit. I mean, thank you, God. We need desperately to jettison the old life and live the new but don't really worry me too much, because if you don't, uh, Jesus will make sure you do. <laughs> he will prune us. Which, yeah, ouch. And note, some are saved out of sin. Uh, they need to change what they were. And some are saved from sin. They need to change their direction, You know what they would have become. But for all of us, we would suffer sin and more sin without him. You know, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. How how grateful are you that Jesus saved you? I mean uh, and and how grateful are you that he prunes you? <laughs> I'm not sure but <clears throat> that he cuts away bad or useless parts of your life. Does that sound any better? Yeah, not really. Let's go back to our disciples. Their question, Jesus is leaving, so how does this work? Now we've covered some of that in Big Bad Love. Our, that was our last sermon together, wasn't it? Yeah. Jesus uh, let them know the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He would be Jesus in them now. But Jesus sees a difficulty they will have. They will need to know what he is about to tell them because of Judas. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. As sad as it is, there's actually a familiar ring to this, isn't there? Clear back at the other end of Jesus' ministry, at the beginning, we heard something like this from John the Baptist. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Holy Spirit or fire. (laughs) The wheat he works with, the chaff he burns. The branches that produce, he prunes. Those that don't, he burns. Now, Now, please do not misunderstand this is not some warning that you can lose your salvation. Okay? You don't gain or lose your salvation by any work you do. This is about knowing who is a branch attached to the vine. Okay. Today's rabbit trail. You knew you weren't going <laughs> to. We're always going to do at least one of these, right? So I'll, I'll start with a joke. So one day, this, this little boy, his cat gets out when he's at school. His cat gets out and he runs in the street. He's hit by a car and he's killed. And his, the mom, she's not sure what to do. This, this little boy, he slept with that cat. He loved that cat, something terrific. So, so she's, she doesn't know what to do. And he, he gets home, she carefully tells him what happened. And then hurriedly she says, but don't worry. I'm sure your cat is with God in heaven now. To which the boy replies, what would God want with a dead cat? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Well, a lot of people wonder that same kind of thing whenever there's talk about hell. They miss the whole point. This is a warning. Now, I don't like that the bridge is out, and I think it's just wrong for people to put up signs that say the bridge is out. Bunch of jerks. Yeah, who's going to be so stupid as to say that? You know? But that's precisely what people do when they hear about eternal fire. You know, you're not there yet, are you? <laughs> Obviously, it must be a warning. You know, jerks. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say that one. So. <clears throat> Let's go back to the example of Judas. <laughs> His strange actions must have been on the other disciples' minds. And then, not so much later, as Judas makes clear his nature, they'll really need to know this. Jesus said, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Withers. The branch does not seem to be dead immediately. You know, like when branches are knocked down by windstorms here. They look alive for some time. Kind of are, because some of the sap from the vine tree still flows in them. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they died spiritually immediately. This spiritual truth was eventually manifested physically. Eve was probably the most beautiful woman who ever lived. She didn't suddenly sprout a bunch of warts that moment she sinned. Adam was the finest specimen of human manhood who ever walked the earth. He didn't suddenly get weak. It may have been a hundred years later when Eve looked into a calm pool of water and saw the wrinkle on her perfect face. I mean, how old was Adam when he went to heft a stone and realized he simply couldn't do what he could before? So it is with those who are spiritually dead 
in this world. They can look like they're alive for a long time. But eventually they'll demonstrate their spiritual condition. They'll begin to wither. And why? Because they try to live in themselves alone, like a branch without its vine. Nobody can do that. Because we are creatures who need their Creator to be alive, to live a full and productive life. Really, to live it all. But we need God like a branch needs its vine. This whole thing with Judas is hard stuff. So Jesus returns to the positive, speaking of those who do abide in Him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know, wow, a new Tesla just like that. I used to say new Mercedes, but I've changed my tune. So, <laughs> No, you know, it's not about reward. It's about the nature of a branch connected to the vine. Note the prerequisite to the answered prayer. Our lives are lived in Him. His words live in us. This is about what we become because we abide in Him. How our natures are changed so that our behavior changes. The point is that when we live connected to Christ, we will ask what He wills. We will bear fruit like the plant to which we owe our lives and from which we get life. We will be concerned with, connected to, the spiritual, the Holy Spirit. We are not meant for fire. Okay? And remember the context. Jesus is talking about bearing fruit, a natural occurrence with those who live in him and have his words living in them. Which brings us to a practical consideration. If you don't eat but one meal a day, what will your health be like? Let's make it one meal a week. What would your health be like? If you don't exercise regularly, how much energy are you going to have? You know where I'm going with this, don't you? <laughs> Hearing and reading the Bible is like eating spiritually. Study of the Bible is like physical exercise. If you don't eat Scripture daily, what will be your spiritual health? If you don't exercise with Scripture regularly, what strength will you have to fight the fight? And you know what the answer is. Which is more important? That which will keep you healthy for your short time in this earth, that which will make you healthy for eternity. Spiritual food ought to be more important to you and to me than ah, turkey and pumpkin pie. <laughs> There's a book about the Bible. It has a great title. I've, I've never actually seen the book, but I love the title. Eat this book! <laughs> Isn't that a great title? Sunday mornings, you know, we have here. Wednesday evenings, Becoming God's Family. If you haven't got a copy of that, get it. And more. These are all available to you here. So please take advantage of them. And what's the end result of all this effort? What's the benefit? That's well, like Jesus told the apostles. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Prove to be my disciples. Wait a minute, Jesus. I thought we proved you were disciples by the love we have for one another. That's true. Here is another proof. <laughs> okay? You want to know how you're doing? Here's another proof. We could say it this way. Loving people will bear fruit in them and in us. People attached to Jesus 
who eat Scripture daily and exercise in the Word regularly will produce fruit as a natural result of that Word study. You don't have to force it. And amazingly, these mere humans will bring glory to God the Father. We can actually glorify God. God's pretty great. And we're pretty much not. (laughs) And yet, He makes a way for us to glorify Him. We actually do His work in this vast creation of His, as we talked a few times ago. And how do they, we, ensure they achieve this great honor? Jesus said to them, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. All you got to do is stay in his love. (laughs) That's great. That's it. But how can we actually achieve this abiding? (laughs) How do we do it? What's our part to do? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here we are, back again, you know. He is the Creator God. We're the creatures. Do what creatures were created to do. And He keeps us there in His love. And how can you know what His commandments are? Oh yeah, by reading His Word, eating that book. In His human nature, Jesus did this perfectly and so stayed in His Father's love. And the Father will help us to abide in Jesus. And, I mean, this is so exciting. What happens when creatures do what they were created to do? You ever driven a race car, anybody? Or a little sports car? I've driven sports cars. I love, I had a little Fiat Spider. I love that thing. There's nothing like going 60 miles an hour around a 30 mile an hour corner in that thing. That's what it was made to do. And you know what happened when I did that? No. <laughs> Good point, though. Well, it wasn't a speed limit. wasn't 30. It was an on-ramp to the interstate, so it's okay. It was just marked. I'm grinning. That was fun. That's what that thing was made to do. And if you're a creature made to do something and you do it, what do you think is going to happen? These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Wow. Do what you're supposed to do, you get joy. God wants us to be filled with joy. His joy. And maybe you have to ask yourself this too. <laughs> I'd ask myself, when's the last time you felt that overwhelming joy deep in your soul? You don't get it all the time in this world, but wow. And remember, he said this to his disciples as they were moving into the darkest hours of their lives. Joy is not about circumstances. And God has always wanted this joy for his creatures. That's why Jesus came to die. So we, attached to the vine, could experience the love of God with the result that naturally occurs. Joy. His joy which goes hand in hand with his active love, a love we enjoy sharing. (laughs) His joy. Do you remember where this conversation started? It was just a few minutes ago. (laughs) Well, to the disciples. For us, it was like 
three months ago now. <laughs> We're taking a long time with this. But Well, Jesus goes back to the very beginning where he started this conversation to remind them, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The summary of all his commandments, it's about relationship. Ours to God, ours to one another. Jesus is the true vine. When we abide in Him, we will produce the right fruit. Not the wild kind. We will love one another. And yes, there will be some pruning. And it might be painful for the moment. Cutting off pieces of yourself. (laughs) Ouch. Let's say it this way. You are precious. And that's what they do to diamonds. <laughs> they cut off pieces of them to make them more precious. But when we stay in Christ, if we eat His Word and exercise in it, we will bear spiritual fruit. We will become more like Him. Those around us will see Him in us and we will bring glory to God. And what He always wanted to give us, we will gain His joy. Joy will be in us eternally ever more and more. But even here, we'll be filled with it until it overflows as love for one another. Anyone could be cast out like Judas or knocked up the side of the head like Peter. <laughs> it's, it's simple, really, for every human being. Bear fruit. Or be burned. You've been warned. That's the only question. Which will it be? Father, we thank you so much that you chose us. I don't understand. I know me and I do not understand why you chose me. But you did. And I trust that you know what you're doing. And I thank you so much that you've drawn me to you. And I thank you so much that you've drawn these people to you. Lord, I pray that you help us. We are so frail and so filled full of faults and have so many issues in our lives. But still, we desire to be attached to Jesus, to live like Him, to bear fruit for Him, to bring glory to You. Lord, help us in all of our muddling and all of our mistakes. Help us to somehow show people you and your son somehow to be you for them. Thank you, Father, that you make us a part of your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.